0: This is crime scene investigator Chris G. leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast. I'm sorry it's been a little while, I always start these podcasts by apologising, <laughs> I've, uh, I've had a lot going on, um, I compared myself to a video game character, this is one of my side quests and yeah I've got lots of side quests going on, my main quest being obviously uh, my role as a crime scene investigator, but yeah this side quest I, I try and do once a month um, to just like demonstrate my work, what I do, hopefully inspire you to maybe think about doing something like this. I uh, was contacted by an author who said these are a great resource for like their research into their books and things just so they can get things factually right. And on that note, I thought I'd talk about fingerprints, say the uh, what fingerprints are, the history behind the fingerprints and how I say develop and recover fingerprints from a scene. So no doubt during this podcast, you will look at your hands and your fingers multiple times. Uh, so just go with it. Just if, if ever I prompt you to look at your hands, just do so. If you're in a public area, then people might think you're a bit mad. Uh, but, but yeah, if, if they ask you, just say, hey, I'm listening to this really interesting podcast about fingerprints and spread the word. Um, so firstly, what are fingerprints? So across our skin, we have sweat pores including on our hands and feet so if you were to look at your say fingerprints under a microscope you'd see all these like little dots and there are sweat pores and that's how our sweat escapes our body Um, our sweat is around 95 percent water the other five percent is consisting of salt and amino acids when we see fingerprints on a surface it's actually someone's sweat that we're seeing and it leaves a kind of nice pattern behind of their, of their fingerprints, uh, their, what we call skin friction ridge detail. And that's what we aim to develop when we go to a crime scene. So fingerprints stay unchanged throughout our life. They are formed at about 24 weeks in the womb. So when a newborn baby comes out, they're going to have their fingerprints on their fingers that's going to stay the same for the rest of their life. The only way it would change is if, say, uh, you scar your finger, burn it, or, uh, heaven forbid, lose a finger. (laughs) I've had to um, fingerprint someone before that I think I could only get about seven fingers because they'd lost three due to a, like, work accident. Um, And, yeah, of course, I'm I'm not going to take the finger, fingerprint a finger that's not there. Um, But in the womb, when a baby's being developed, they will more often than not press their index finger and their thumb together and they'll almost hold it almost like two little tweeting birds and this causes the uh, index finger to have a different kind of general shape to the other fingers. So if you look at your fingers now you might see that you've got say a pattern that kind of goes in one direction but on your index finger it might go in another direction and as I said this is just because a ba- a baby in the womb will just press these two the, th- the finger and their thumbs together and it will just kind of develop differently so the ridges on our fingers and feet are there to uh, provide grip they're called friction ridge detail and it does exactly that it causes friction between what we're say holding and what we're stepping on and hopefully our fingerprints and uh, uh, footprints will stop us from falling over or dropping things which uh, doesn't always work in, in my case now we have three different types of fingerprints the the main categories are loops arches and whirls now loops they account for around about 60% of the fingerprints that are out there And one ridge must begin at one side of your finger. It must loop around and then exit the same side it began. It's creating sort of a lasso-shaped loop, if you see what I mean. Uh, It's very hard for me to say describe without (laughs) actually showing you. And like I said, these are the most common ones you'll find. So a lot of people will have loops, and I'm just looking at mine now and yet I am boring, I'm in one of those 60% categories and I've got loops. So like I said, the ridge just starts from one side of the finger, wraps around and then exits the same. Um, the next uh, category is arches. Now arches are fairly rare on people, they're about 5% of the population have an arch and the ridge will flow from one side of the finger across it to the other but it will sort of rise in the middle, forming a circular arch shape, um, and yeah, they are—they're not too common, and yeah, I don't see too many of those. But when you do, it's like oh, it's like finding a left-handed person. <laughs> um, and the other percentage, about 35%, are whirls. Now whirls are quite difficult for me to explain without showing you, I'm I'm not a fingerprint expert, I'm not a person that would identify and look at the fingerprints up close under a microscope, so I'm not too savvy with, with a, a whirl. But these are sort of mostly circular. Uh, we've got, say, a, a whirl will have two deltas and one ridge uh, encircling the core and I've trying to find out what deltas are and I think they are basically say like a ridge that's sort of in like a triangular shaped pattern on your finger. A fingerprint expert will be listening to this and be cursing me because they'll know what a delta is and it's really hard for me to explain without just showing you a picture. So the background regarding fingerprints. I know I've heard a story before about how Romans used to mark their pottery with their fingerprints because back in those days, you know, the Roman times, they were aware that everyone's fingerprints were different and I think it was to stop people, say, fraudulently making pottery in their name rather than, say, the the fancy Roman potter designer (laughs) or whatever. So the designer would mark the basis of their pots with their own fingerprint as that unique seal to prove that it was actually their work and not some fraudster. So it goes back all that time ago uh, that we knew about fingerprints and we knew how say unique and uh, distinguishable they were and I think it was sort of the late 1800s, early 1900s where scientists really started to say pioneer fingerprints and uh, work out that everyone say has their own unique fingerprints and I think they got it down to about One in 64 billion chance that you will come across two fingerprints that are the absolute same and so far I'm not aware of any cases where two people have got the exact same fingerprints which just blows my mind when you think about how many people there are in the world, they've all hopefully got 10 fingers so you've got say 7 billion people with 10 different fingers then that's what say 70 billion different combinations now this scientist said it was down to a one in 64 billion chance so then you think well maybe there is two people out there with the exact same fingerprint Uh, but so far we as far as I'm aware haven't uh, found any fingerprints that are the same even identical twins identical twins will have the same DNA but completely different fingerprints So now let's talk about my day-to-day role, I go to a scene and I develop fingerprints. Now I've got a variety of different powders up my sleeve, I've got metallic and granular powders. Now metallic are normally my say go-to because they'll just say leave behind nicer, clearer, refined fingerprints and it's fairly easier to clean than some granular powders and we often use granular powders for say metallic items or uh, electronic devices and there may be say some surfaces that yeah just our our metal powders will will sort of stick to and magnetise to and in that case we'll often go for granular powders breaking down our fingerprint powders uh, I'll start with the metallic ones and first up is aluminium powder so this powder has been around for goodness knows how long and yeah, it's just say little small aluminium flakes that will just apply to a surface with a brush and it's very very good at a sort of encompassing a whole like large area rather than a confined space so it's a good way to say speculatively search for fingerprints another metallic powder that we use quite often is magneto flake Now Magnetoflake can come in say silver, black or even white I think i found and this is quite good for say a small targeted area. The reason I can favour Magnetoflake over aluminium is that I've got a bit more control over it. It doesn't get airborne so much so it's not as say hazardous to myself or person that's in the scene and it can often leave a much more distinctive fingerprint one that is so much easier to see than your aluminium flake. Now Magneta flake powder is a magnetic powder, so rather than using a brush to apply we'll use a magnetic wand. So this is just basically like a metal stick with a magnet on the end that will just dip into the pot, and then we'll get like a little nice brush head that forms around this magnet. The one problem with Magneta flake is that it's going to stick to anything that's, say, a little bit magnetic. So on your mobile phones they have, say, like magnets in them. Uh, If I was trying to powder something like a radiator, that's magnetic. So Magnetoflake just isn't going to work too well with that. Moving on to granular powders. Granular powders come in a variety of colors, the main ones being black and white. They're often a good contrast to whatever surface you're you're looking at. But I've seen granular powders in yellows, pinks, greens, reds. And yeah, you can get some really cool colours. I think I was rocking a pink, a pink uh, granular powder in my case for some time just because it, it works so well on, say, silver surfaces, surfaces that aren't going to be too good for, like, aluminium powders, those silver powders that we have. So they're often quite good granular powders uh, if you've got, say, a variety of surface colours and, yeah, you want to develop some, say, marks that you can see because marks that you can't see aren't going to be very good. So I've got a variety of brushes that I can administer these powders with. So for typical powders like aluminium, I'll use a Zephyr or a Sky Brush. The Zephyr brush is really quite fluffy, and these these Zephyr and Sky brushes are probably the ones that you see people on TV twisting uh, twisting around. And, And yeah, they can cover a big surface area in quite a small amount of time. And we've got little squirrel brushes as well, made from real squirrel hair, bless them and they're good for administering granular powders. You get a bit more control over those uh, brushes because they don't sort of fan out and go everywhere. They stay quite uh, small and neat, like your, your makeup brushes would. And we also use uh, squirrel brushes and ostrich feather brushes for cleaning out. So if we powder a mark and we've over-powdered it, we've put too much powder, in between all those ridges and we just end up with like a big blotch or something we can use our squirrel and ostrich brushes to clean out the excess powder and hopefully our cleaning out will be good enough that we'll have the ridges remaining and we've successfully cleaned out all that excess powder. Now for marks that we can't powder, so when you think about if our sweat is say 95 percent water if we put fingerprints onto a porous surface that's going to soak in all that water say for example like paper um it's not going to be very very good for say powder treatment and so then we'll look to chemically treat the marks and chemical treatment can look for amino acids in your in your sweat and yeah we've got some various techniques that can that can do that So if I've got, say, a paper item or something, I'll look to recover that and send it off to a lab for another person to do all their chemical work on it. So yeah, we have a few tricks up our sleeves. However, fingerprints aren't as great to sort of develop as the TVs might make out. They always say, oh, we've got fingerprints all over a steering wheel. And that's when I bang my head against the wall and think, no, like, fingerprints on a steering wheel are so so hard to develop Uh, and the reason behind that is that say uh, bumpy and rough surfaces can be quite tricky to develop fingerprints on and that's because we need sort of a nice flat surface so you can leave your entire fingerprint on if you've got a surface that say got bumps to it then you're only going to be touching a fraction of that surface not all of it if that sort of makes sense and uh, also you've got to think about the motion of the subject leaving these marks so if i'm going to plant my hand down onto say this desk here and then take off my hand it'll probably leave a nice fingerprint however if i'm going to sort of swipe my hand across the desk it's not going to leave great fingerprints because that motion of me the subject is just going to be smudging the marks and so we can kind of have mixed results on door handles because when you pull down a door handle you're going to be say smudging your mark most of the time and it's the same for like a steering wheel Uh, you know you're going to be smudging around the steering wheel you're going to be touching it multiple times and this is another factor affecting fingerprints as well if I touch a door handle and then you touch a door handle and then someone else touches a door handle we're going to have a build up of so many marks it's just going to be impossible to distinguish from and of course when i plant my fingerprints down i don't wipe away your marks and leave my clear marks behind you're just going to have say a mixture of all this sweat all this water and it's enough to kind of make you want to clean your hands after touching door handles another factor affecting fingerprints is the weather So if you think about our fingerprints being 95% water, as you can imagine, the rain is going to mix with this water and it's not going to be too great. That's why we might, say, look to do chemical treatment on items that have been wet. So then we're looking for, say, the amino acids more than the water itself and of course in extreme heat I've seen fingerprints that start to say break up and evaporate so when I uh, powder it rather than say just a smooth line in your fingerprints it's gonna start breaking up and like I said evaporating so sometimes you can see that so there are a few factors affecting fingerprints as you can imagine with that list it's not as easy as the TV makes out it does require say a lot of precision a lot of patience a lot of the time and yeah, like I said, it's it's not as easy as you might think, and of course I've just got to manage people's expectations when I go to a crime scene, because it may be that they've had a, had a watch of all these programmes on TV, and now they're realising that actually it's not quite like the telly, I don't look like as handsome as Luther on BBC. <laughs> And yeah, I'm not as savvy as developing fingerprints as they do on CSI Miami or whatever. Um, So it just requires me to have good communication and I draw, say, like diagrams of surfaces and people's fingers to just try and help, help the people understand the limitations that I have. It's not that I'm turning up there and I just can't be bothered. It's actually... Sometimes there, there isn't anything that I can do and that often pains me because all I want to do is help these people and it's hard to say manage their expectations if they do watch all these programmes and actually it's just it's just fiction that they're watching and, and this is the real life. Um, So once I've developed a fingerprint I'll look to say capture it. Now we've got two main methods that we will uh, capture fingerprints we'll either lift the fingerprints using uh, a couple of techniques or we'll capture them with photography so when lifting a fingerprint I've got two main lifts that I use I'll use a tape it's a clear tape a bit like cellar tape but like it doesn't leave that yellowy kind of effect it's a completely clear tape and that's called Jlar. so J uh... stroke L-A-R J-lar. <laughs> and that's sort of your your most common go-to lifting tape that I will use and it will just, uh, yeah, i put the tape down i lift it up and then put it onto a clear, say, plastic sheet so then it can be uh, lit up with a backlight and hopefully, say, yeah, illuminating the fingerprint my other technique are gelatine lifts now these gelatine lifts can be quite good on slightly rough surfaces And then if I've got, say, a larger area, I can have some really large gelatine lifts that I can use to uh, lift these these marks. And these come in a variety of colours. We can have transparent, black or white. My go-to is probably black because that can add a nice contrast to, say, silver or white powders. And, yeah, these can be good also at lifting footwear marks. So it's not just fingerprints we'll use these gel lifts for. Moving away from lifts we'll talk about digital capture, I think this is going to be the future now so rather than lifting a mark and then submitting say a hard copy or scanning a copy of the lift we can just take a picture of it and send it electronically and almost instantly over to the fingerprint expert to identify hopefully quite quickly. So digital capture, although it has its positives, it also has its negatives. So if I'm trying to take a photograph of a mark that's on a curved surface, I might not be able to see all of that mark with my camera because my camera isn't going to be able to wrap around the surface. In that case, I'll have to just lift it. So there's quite a few fingerprints that I'll get uh, on like drinks containers that I just won't be able to uh, photograph. So then I'll have to resort back to lifting. Now, once i've lifted all these marks uh, i have to submit them to the fingerprint experts i can do this electronically on a scanning device that we've got it will scan our lifts or uh, upload our images that we can then just send straight over and i can have a result in say a few hours a lot of the time which is brilliant you know if you've got say a crime in action so a crime in action could be something like a kidnap hostage situation that kind of thing which doesn't happen all that much Uh, or it could also be like if you've got a burglary victim that's had all their sentimental jewellery stolen um, I might plead with the fingerprint experts to look at that more quickly so we can get all these sentimental items back if I feel like the fingerprints are definitely going to be from the offender but also another thing that I'll always make sure that I do when I leave a scene is clean up. The last thing you want is powder absolutely everywhere in your home, in your car. And I think it's the one lasting memory that when I say to people, oh, I'm a crime scene investigator, they say, oh, I had a crime scene investigator around once. They left powder everywhere. And it's always those negatives that they remember, I think. So I always find it equally important to clean up as well as you know, trying to develop and apprehend the the offender, because the last thing a person wants after they've been burgled is to have to clean up after the burglar, and of the crime scene investigator as well. So I think if I can save them just that job, then that's all good. And I also like to pretend I'm James Bond sometimes. <laughs> so like, uh, I uh, I like to go in and leave not leaving a trace that I've been there you know like I'm I'm a secret spy or whatever so a lot of the uh, statistics and the information uh, I got from a book forensic science third edition by Andrew R.W. Jackson and Julie M. Jackson so I'll just shout out to them it's a great book and the credit will go to them and I'll wrap it up there I hope this has been informative for you all maybe it's inspired you to want to become say a CSI or a fingerprint expert or you're writing a novel and now you're gonna have a bit more knowledge behind fingerprints and the limitations and how we'll say develop things and yeah I will speak to you soon Uh, no doubt no promises though (laughs) you know what I'm like thank you ever so much have a great week and see you soon. This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next Crime Scene.